Open your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 17. You know, the world we live in is full of idols. Yeah. The world we live in is full of idols and full of idol worshipers, of men and women who do not know the true God. America, the United States of America, is full of idols. Africa and every nation in Africa is full of idols. Asia, full of idols. We are surrounded by idol worshipers. Men and women who do not know God. And even in our churches, there are many professing Christians who are, in fact, practicing idol worship. They may not be aware of it, but they are. You see, an idol is not just a statue you bow down to. An idol is not just a mountain you worship. An idol is anything that I put my faith in and I trust in and I commit to beyond my trust and my commitment to God. Our idols are the things we desire even more than we desire to worship God. Our idols today are pleasure, power, sex, success, money. Each of these things can have their proper place in our lives, but each of these things can become more important to us than God is. And so, what I talk to you about today from Acts chapter 17 is about Paul's trip to Athens. And the scripture says when Paul went into Athens, he was there waiting for, 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 for Silas uh, to come and join him. And while they're waiting, the scripture, as we will see, tells us that Paul became provoked in his spirit. His spirit was stirred. He became deeply disturbed. He became highly upset. He was distressed. There are different ways the, words, uh, is, the word is translated. But he, his spirit was unsettled. It became provoked. It became disturbed. It became distressed. It was upset. He was angry. And the scripture tells us why. When he beheld how idolatrous the people were. As I read that, I said, God help me and God help us. Because we live in a country, we live in a world full of idols and we're not provoked. 
We're not moved, many of us. We're not moved to act. We're not moved to pray. We're not moved to give. We're not moved to say anything. And yet every day, we're surrounded by people who are worshiping idols. May the spirit of God that moved Paul and caused his spirit to be disturbed within him, cause him to be distressed on the inside of him, cause him to be upset to the point that he says, you know what, I can't just be quiet, I can't just be silent, I can't just do nothing. You know, they may not believe me, they may not listen to me, but I'm going to have to, I just can't be passive. But I see all of this happening. And so, this is the context. This is the story. And my prayer is that God, as I preach, my own heart will be moved. And my own compassion for those who are lost will go to another level. My own desire to do something with what I have to let the whole world know that Jesus saves. That my commitment will go to another level. That's my prayer for you too. Acts chapter 17, let's go to verse 1 please. Let's read together. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And so there you have Paul. This is a missionary journey. Paul is going to spend some time in, 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 in Thessalonica. He's going to preach Jesus, and he's going to preach the resurrection. And that's what Paul did. Everywhere Paul went, he would preach Jesus and the resurrection. And of course, they got upset with him. They tried to persecute him. The Jews got angry with him, and he had to leave. And so they, the brethren took him, and he went to Athens. Now, let's go to verse, verse uh, 16 of chapter 17. Now, while Paul waited, let's read that. While Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Now, this is Athens. Now, Athens at one time was the greatest city in the world. They were known for their, for their, 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 their intellectual achievements. They were known for their uh, scientific achievements they were known for their cultural achievements Athens was the place to be Athens is the home of Sophocles it's the home of Plato the home of Aristotle I mean these are among the most famous philosophers that ever lived the city was full of educated people accomplished people successful people they they were brilliant and yet we're told that in that city with all of this sophistication all of this 
education, all of these achievements, they were a city given over to idols. In fact, we're told that there were so many idols in the city that someone jokingly said it was easier to find a god than to find a man. You know, Pastor Chris and I got to visit Athens recently, and, and we wanted a tour, and of course we saw all the different gods that they once worshipped, and some still worship. We asked the tour guide, okay, uh, so are the people still praying to the Jews and to uh, Zeus and to, what's his name, um, uh, Apollo and, and Apollo, Apollonia, all of these gods? He said, well, yeah, but most of them, the gods they really pray to are their personal gods. Sounds like, like some of the places we come from, some of us. Amen? And, and he talked about how if, when they're building a house, they would dig and they would put animal bones and different things in the, in the foundation. This is 2022. You know, now, we look at that and we, and we say, those are idol worshipers. But hear me. While most folks in this country do not make statues made of gold or marble or, or stone and do not bow down to figures, here is the reality. The United States of America, where you live, Europe, and Asia, and where you work, and where you go to school, and among your family members, and perhaps even you, there are things in our lives Things in people's lives that are far more important to them than God. Things they trust in far more than God. And those are just as much idols as the little figurines that people worship or put in their pockets to protect them. And so when Paul saw this, Paul was what? Provoked. Again, my prayer, Lord, is that we will be stirred up in our spirit, disturbed, provoked, moved to do something. To do something. To help these people who are deceived and who are putting their faith in something other than the true God. And so Paul decided that he couldn't wait, so he went to the synagogue. And when he went to the synagogue, he was meeting the Jewish people. And the Bible tells us the way he would do, he would reason with these from the scriptures. And he would use the scriptures because that was something they could agree on. And, but he would use the scriptures, and what would he do? Using the scriptures, he would preach Jesus and the resurrection. Because Paul understood the Jewish people also needed to be saved. Yeah, they have the scriptures, but you, how many of you know you can have the scriptures and not be saved? You can have a Bible and not be saved. You can come to church and not be saved. You can honor the Sabbath 
and not be saved because there's only one name given among men whereby they must be saved. There's no other name. And, and the only way you can be saved is through faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Because no matter how religious you are, and your religion might be a good religion with Ten Commandments and very moral and very ethical, but Jesus said to Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. You want to enter the kingdom. You can't enter the kingdom through these rules. You can't enter the kingdom through these, these uh, 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 um, rites and rituals. If you're going to enter the kingdom, he says, there's only one way to enter the kingdom, and that is you've got to be born again. And there's only one way to be born again is to be born of the Spirit, and you're going to be born of the Spirit. The only way to be born of the Spirit is to believe in Jesus. And so wherever Paul went when he was preaching to his own people, he would begin where they were, but then he would bring them to where they needed to be, Jesus and his resurrection. And brothers and sisters, that's the message the whole world needs. Everybody ought to know who Jesus is. Amen. My mother, my father, my brother, my sister, your mother, father, brother, sister, your boss, your supervisor, those you supervise, the people that live in your village, the people that live in the country of origin, the people that live in the community, the people that live, every single man or woman ought to know who Jesus is. Because there is salvation in another. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody can come to the Father except through me. It's just, just true. If you want to come into this building, you know, you got one, two, three ways to come in. If you want to come in the kingdom, there's only one way. Amen? But here's the problem. There's, there are a whole lot of folks who've never been told that. Some have been told that and rejected. But you need to realize as we sit here, there are billions of human beings on the face of this earth who have never once heard the name Jesus. I think I've shared this before years ago. I have a friend from Germany. And he was telling me, he said, he told a little boy, God bless you. And the little boy said, God? Who's God? That's Germany. Who, who? He's never heard God's name. Oh, may my spirit be provoked. May your spirit be disturbed. May something vex your righteous soul. And cause you to say, no, we've got to do what we can with what we have. We won't be able to necessarily get this to everybody, but we're sure, we're sure going to try. Amen. And so Paul spoke to his Jewish people, but then as Paul walked through the cities and he saw all these idols, he, his spirit gave him no rest. He was stirred. And so the Bible says he also went into the marketplace. He went into the marketplace and he looked for opportunities to present the gospel to those who would listen. Let this be our practice. As you go into the marketplace, and you, we do that on a daily basis, let it be our practice 
to look for opportunities, to pray for opportunities to present this gospel, Jesus Christ and the resurrection. And so while Paul was doing that, presenting the gospel in the marketplace, the Bible tells us in the story that some Epicureans and Stoics philosophers heard that this man was teaching what they call strange doctrines, a proclaimer of foreign gods, because he was preaching to them Jesus and the resurrection. And so they came and they said, listen, what are you talking about? We've never heard this. We, we, we want to hear more from you, because this thing you're talking about, we've never heard about this, this particular God. And so they invited him on to meet them at what is called the called Mars Hill or the Arapacus Mars Hill. And again, Pastor Chris and I got to see the rock, the place that was was used that day. And this was where the 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 Athenian uh, council and court would 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 assemble. And because the city was so so religious, one of the things they decided there was whether a particular religion was to be embraced and a particular God was to be added to the many gods they already had. And so since Paul was presenting a new God that they didn't have or they had never heard of, they said, listen, let's go to this council, let's meet at Mars Hill because there you're going to have all of these learned judges who will listen to your account and your story and they will determine whether what you say is legitimate or not and whether we, the Athenian people, should embrace this new God and simply add this God to the rest of the gods we already have. How many of you know that won't work? Hey Amen. You can't just add Jesus to a list of other gods you have. Okay, so I pray to the God of fame when I want fame and I worship at the altar of popularity and I worship at the altar of sex and, and when I want, I don't know what you want, but maybe when I want something that I think only Jesus can give, then I go to Jesus. No, you can't add Jesus to your other gods. You know, you, know, you got to choose when it comes to salvation, right? You got to choose. The world has to choose. Men and women have to choose. Idol worshipers have to choose. They can keep on worshiping their gods if they choose, but if they want salvation, if they want to know the true God, if they want to know the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's only one way to do it. You got to believe in Jesus, which means you got to reject. That's why the Bible says you believe in your heart and you declare him as Lord. Not as a God, not just as deity, but you bow. And you declare him as Lord. Come on, everybody in this house that believes Jesus is Lord, open your mouth and say, Jesus, Jesus. you and you alone are Lord. And so Paul, glad for the opportunity, came before the council. And he began his speech. Hallelujah. And he began his speech by addressing the subject of the unknown God. Look at verse 23. In verse 23, well, verse 22. Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. 
So one characteristic of these people is that they were very religious. Another translation says you're very superstitious. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, religion can be a bunch of superstition if it's not rooted and grounded in truth. That's what it is. It's superstition if it is not the truth. So they were what? Very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him. I love that. I love that. You see, they had all of these gods for everything. And apparently they said, just in case there's a God that we miss, and we may need that God when all of these other gods can perform. We have another God. We don't know his name, but when all these other ones have failed, there's at least another God <laughs> that we can go to as an unknown God. These other gods didn't work. Perhaps you can help us. And so they're building all sorts of God they didn't know. And Paul took that for the, as his point of departure, the place to begin his argument. You see, that's always wisdom. Amen? As much as possible, when you are reasoning with people and presenting Christ, you want to begin, when possible, where there can be a point of agreement. Amen? A point of commonality. Because if you can, if you can win them, so to speak, to yourself, or you can help them feel at ease, they're more likely to listen to the presentation. They may not in the end accept it, but they're more likely to listen if you don't begin with hostility. Too often we think that witnessing must begin with, you sinner, you're going to hell. And many times when we come so aggressively, we just turn people off and they don't even bother to listen to what we want to say. Amen. So it's not so important that we denounce the wrong they're doing. What is important is that we pre pre preach and present them the Savior. Now, at some point, you do have to talk about sin, but that doesn't have to be where you start. Say hallelujah. Now, please, please go back. To the unknown God, the one whom you worship without knowing, I like that. The one you don't know, I know. Now, now that's important. If we are going <laughs> to present him to others, then we need to know him. You can't proclaim who you don't know. You can't proclaim what you don't know. And so as harvesters, committed, provoked, disturbed by the idolatry that abounds around us, we need to, first of all, Make a quality decision that we're going to know him ourselves. Amen? And if I know him, I can know him more. If I know him, I can know him better. If I know him, I don't know all there is to know because we are going to be spending eternity discovering who he is. Are you hearing me? So don't be satisfied with the level of knowledge you have of him. Press in individually. Let's press in collectively. 
Let's seek him as we are going to be told so that we might know him, that we might worship him, that we might trust him, that we might obey him, and that we might be able to proclaim him with authority, with conviction, because we know what we're talking about. We're not just repeating words. We, we're speaking words that we are convinced of because we know him. You see, Paul knew him. Paul knew him. Paul could reflect on, on the condition he was in when he was just a religious man because Paul was once very religious. And he knew when he had that encounter with Jesus how real it was. And, and Paul made it his business on the day that Jesus revealed himself to him. To know him. So in the book of Philippians, you hear Paul saying, That I may know him after so many years of preaching and teaching and praying and healing and casting out devils, being persecuted for Christ. Paul was still saying, Way up in age, oh, I haven't yet obtained. I, I don't know all that I need to know. I'm still pressing on to lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of. I am not satisfied. I'm not content. I'm going to keep pressing in because there's more of him to know. Child of God, don't be satisfied wherever you are right now in your knowledge of God, in your relationship with God. Press on. Keep pressing in. Keep getting into the word. Keep meditating. Keep listening to good sermons. Keep meditating and studying the scriptures. Keep reading whatever books you need to read, but keep hungering and pressing in and allowing the Holy Spirit to keep revealing more and more of him. More, more, more about Jesus. May that be our prayer. The God that you don't know, I know. And I want to introduce him to you. Oh, hallelujah. My sister, my brother, my friend John, there's a God that I know who means so much to me. And I believe he would be a great blessing to you. May I introduce him to you. I hear me? And you can introduce him to them with your words, with your love. You introduce them to him. Hallelujah. Now, in Paul's audience that day were the Stoics, were, were the Epicureans. Um, there are at least four different groups. We know one way the Bible describes them is as being very religious. So his audience that day were some very religious people, right? But there were also the Epicureans. Now, the Epicureans were known for pleasure. They, they, they felt the purpose of life was to enjoy yourself. Physical pleasure. Eat. That sounds like somebody here. Drink. Eat, drink. Be what? Dance. Are you hearing me? Eat, drink, man, be merry, enjoy yourself. I mean, after all, live and get. So their goal was pleasure. 
physical pleasure. I was listening to something yesterday, or was it the day before, on um, Facebook, and this, Christ, this pastor was uh, talking about the latest song or album that Beyonce has come up with. And he was describing how totally vulgar. I mean, so many songs, but unmitigated vulgarity, hedonism. And it seems like our whole core purpose is to get as many people as possible to join her in living for pleasure. They are here. In your audience are the Epicureans. And they have their prophets and their preachers. They have their places where they gather from which they proclaim their message. They have mastered the art of using the media to proclaim their message. So whether it's TV or whether it's the internet or whether it's it's the music. But their goal is to get as many people as possible to worship the God or the goddess of pleasure. First of all, don't listen to that stuff. There's nothing about it that is edifying. It's purely demonic. Totally vulgar. And the only purpose is to make you like an animal to behave like an animal rather than like someone created in the image of God. The Epicureans were in his audience, they're in ours. The Stoics, they too want pleasure, but their pursuit of pleasure is not primarily physical, it's intellectual. How many of you know that some people want not physical pleasure, intellectual pleasure? The pleasure that comes from the acquisition of information, knowledge, solving problems, reading books, philosophy. Take great delight in knowledge. Stoics. And so they were the proud and puffed up ones because they knew better. They knew more than you. Well, they're in your audience as well. And then and then the Bible says, in describing them, you know, he says the Athenians, they, were, they just like to talk. <laughs> they spend their time doing nothing else than talking some new thing or listening to some new thing. A bunch of uh, 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 gossipers who just talk I love to talk and spend a little time thinking. You got them too. Here's the point. The same people that were in Paul's audience, the same types of people are in ours. Paul started with the unknown God because that was something that could be a point of a, a place to start from. But he never ended there. He always ended with the same message. 
Jesus and the resurrection. So whether you're talking to the Jews or whether you're talking to the Gentiles, whether you're talking to the Stoics or whether you're talking to the Epicurean, no matter who you're talking to, there's still one answer. There's only one solution. The whole world needs to know. And it's our responsibility, your responsibility, my responsibility, individual. And it's our calling as a church, as a ministry collectively. My brothers and sisters, this is why we exist. When the lost at all costs and make as many disciples for Christ as we possibly can in our generation, it's not just a slogan. A world where no one lives or dies without Christ. These are not mere empty words. They reflect the very heart of the Father. This was what moved the Apostle Paul. And he began here and started to proclaim the gospel and reveal to them who he, the unknown God, is. And I love how he describes him. So let's just quickly read what Paul had to say about him. Listen to this. God who made the world and everything in it. Say that. He made the world and everything in it. He is Lord of heaven and earth. Say that. He is Lord of heaven and earth. That's our God. That's the true God. Does not dwell in temples made with hands. Say, my God does not dwell in temples made with hands. Next verse. Nor is he worshipped with man's hands. In other words, idols, you can't you can reduce him to that. As though he needed, say, my God doesn't need anything from me or from you. He is God. He existed long before you showed up and was doing well all by himself. He is not in need. Are you hearing me? He needs nothing. He is the, the I am. Whatever he is and whatever he needs, he is. So he doesn't need his creatures to give him anything as though he doesn't have it. He is self-sufficient. Amen. He doesn't need anything. And he does what? Gives to all life, breath, and all things. He doesn't need anything. But to the contrary, he's the giver of all things. And he gives to every man. Say every man. Every woman. Every boy. Life. Breath. And all things necessary for his existence. Whether you believe in him or not. Here's the fact. He gave you the life you have. And he's given you what it takes to sustain your life. Everything you need, whether you choose to acknowledge it or not, he is the source. It goes on to say, in him we move and live and we have our being. Whether you believe it or not, you are totally, completely dependent upon God for your existence. Every atom in your body, every cell in your body depends upon him. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. And he has determined their pre-appointed times and the bound. Oh, my goodness. That's just, you see why you and I ought to be falling on our faces and worshiping? 
He's the creator. And he made from one blood every nation. Different races, different nationalities. There's diversity and it's beautiful. But no matter how different we are outwardly, the color of our skins, our, the shape of our noses, how our bodies are built, there's variety, but there's one thing that he has done. No matter what we look like outwardly, he made us all from one blood. Amen? Which means we are the same. We are one family. Hallelujah. And when Paul goes on and preaches, I, I need, to, need to begin to wrap this up. He preaches, and then at the very end, he says, listen, God is going to judge the world. He says, God is going to judge the nations. And he says, God is going to judge these nations through one man, the man he, God the Father, has ordained. And that man is the Lord Jesus. And he said, you can be sure of this because God raised him from the dead. So here's, here's, here's the reality. One of the reasons why Paul was so provoked in his spirit that made him feel he had to say something was because he could not stomach the fact that the glory that should have been going to God was being given to idols. Couldn't stomach it because he knew everything he had and everything you have came from God. God created you. God gave you life. God is sustaining you. And if you're saved, God saved you. God gave his son. God is the source of everything good in your life. The scripture says every good gift comes from God. So if there's anything that you consider good in your life, it came from God. And yet, Paul looks and he sees a whole city giving the glory that should be going to God, to idols. I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine your father works for a company and he gives himself tirelessly, faithfully, committed, sacrificially. He, he solves so many problems incredibly. He saves the company. He, his efforts are the reason the company is prospering. He does all of that. And at the annual award dinner, you show up and all of these folks show up. And when it's time to give the award to the person who did the most, who made the most difference, who's responsible for the company not going under. It's not your dad who's called. It's someone else who everybody knows did nothing. 
And then they speak highly of this person and praise this person and give this person the credit. They clap for this person, they celebrate this person, they give this person a beautiful plaque, they give this person this beautiful award. And your dad, who you know is the one who did everything and who deserves that, is sitting there and they don't even mention his name. Now, put yourself in that room while they're praising someone else for what you know your father did. Perhaps maybe it was the color of his skin. And you're sitting there. How do you feel? Do you feel provoked? Do you feel disturbed? Do you feel, no, 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 no. I got to say something. Are you ready to say, wait a minute? Well, that's what Paul was feeling. Wait a minute. You're worshiping a God of health when God is the one who gave you health? You're worshiping a God of money when God is the one who's supplying your needs? You're, you're worshiping a God of wisdom when God is the one who's giving you the ability to think? Everything you have that's good came from him. And instead of worshiping my God, my Father, the one who's been so good to me and the one who's been so good to you, you are standing there giving credit to gods that do not live. Paul was disturbed by the fact that the Father was not receiving the glory that was due him. Then second though, Paul was disturbed because he knew that all of those people, tens of, tens of thousands of them at that time, maybe hundreds of thousands, were marching with blindfolds on their eyes, straight to hell. And the thought of all of those souls going to hell disturbed him. He had to tell them about Jesus and the resurrection. Because the only way they could be saved was through this gospel. He proclaimed it. And they responded. When he talked about the resurrection, they, some dismissed him. They laughed at resurrection. <laughs> when you share Christ, some will laugh. Some will mock. Share him still. Preach him still. Proclaim him still. When you share him, some will say, well, okay, we'll think about it. And they never do. Preach him still. Proclaim him still. Share him still. Keep sowing for souls still. Everybody won't believe. Everybody won't be saved. But some will. Go to the next verse. Go to the next verse. So Paul departed from them. Is there another verse? However, there it is. Some men joined and believed. Among them, Dionysius, the Areopagite, that means he was one of the judges, one of the big men. 
he believed. And a woman named Tamaris and others with him. Everybody didn't believe that day, but some did. And Paul left, and those who did believe became the ones that continued to preach Jesus and the resurrection to the Athenian people. And many others, I'm sure, came to faith and were delivered from eternal damnation. I pray for you. You pray for me. Let's stand. Let's raise our hands to heaven. And I want each person now to ask God to do something in your heart. Now, you know, you, you may not have an emotional experience, but God can still do something in your heart, in your will, so that whether you feel or don't feel, you will be provoked to do something, to do what you can with what you have to pray, to give, to serve, to share this gospel so that the world may come to know this God who can save them from their sins. You talk to God in your own way and in your own words. And if you're watching, do the same right where you are. Who are those who don't know God, that you can be an instrument to introduce God to. Who are those right here where we find ourselves? In the marketplace where we live and where we do business. Which nations, which villages, which towns can we as a church be used by God to reach? How can we by praying, how can we by serving, how can we by giving help reach as many people as we possibly can? Father, we present ourselves, we repent, I repent. Because Father, we have not cared enough. We have not been moved enough to do something. We have been too complacent. Lord, I am sorry, I repent. Lord, I, Change my own attitude. Work in me and work in us together, both to will and do your pleasure. Lord, cause our hearts to be disturbed by the idols that we see all around us. And may we be jealous for your glory. And may we be moved by the fate of these people who don't know you. God, we present ourselves to you. 
to be changed by your spirit and by your word. We claim the grace we need, Lord, to experience the transformation that is required at this time. Lord, bless us in our efforts, cause us to be instruments, effective instruments in your kingdom. And Lord, we will trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you so much. God bless you. Hallelujah. Amen. We're going we're gonna, to uh, say to those who are watching and those who are here, listen, if you have not yet received Jesus as your Savior and Lord, the message Paul preached was Jesus in the resurrection. That's, that's the message that saves. You see, Jesus literally died for the sins of the whole world. He paid the price that you would have had to pay. You don't have to pay it anymore. But for that to be real for you, you've got to believe the gospel and you've got to receive Jesus into your life as your Lord and Savior. And you're here, if you haven't received Christ, you need to do that as well. Simply being religious is not enough. You've got to receive him as your Savior and your Lord. That's when he comes into your life, forgives you of your sins, and makes you righteous in God's sight. And so I'm going to lead you all now into a prayer. I'm going to ask everybody here to pray. And if you're watching, please pray with us as well. If you're receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to lead you to him right now. Let's pray together. Say, Father God, I acknowledge I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. No one can save me except your son who died for me and shed his blood for me. So today, my father, I receive Jesus Christ, your son, as my Lord and my savior. Jesus, save me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Simple prayer, pray from your heart. God has hurt you. Christ is your Savior and Lord. Your sins are forgiven. Now, get to know him. And if you would communicate with us and the information is being provided right now, we will make ourselves available to help you get to know him better. In Jesus' name, amen.